0: There we
1: go. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Daily Power Parashat. Today is Tuesday, July 20th, and we have so much to talk about. You have so much to talk about because we are in the middle of the second Torah portion of the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Devarim, that is called Ve'etchanan. Okay, and I am going to bring up the reading. We're actually in the middle of reading number two because reading two is so long, um we only got halfway through it yesterday so we did reading one and then half of reading two today we're going to finish off reading two and hopefully jump into reading three which corresponds to today which is of course tuesday so let's share the screen let's jump in once again my broken record will tell you that this is moses final words a collection of moses final words to the people I think I cut out for a second. Let's see if you guys can see me, can hear me. Can you guys hear me and see me? Yes? Checking in. Checking, checking. Okay, great. So these are Moses' final words of inspiration to the people before his passing. And Yesterday we spoke about Moses recalled in the presence of the generation that was to summit and and enter the, uh, the land of Israel, the promised land. He spoke to them about Sinai, and how God, imageless God, spoke to them. And how that, re- that, that should be enough of an instilling in their brains, in the, in, the, in the Jewish mind, for all time, that God does not have an image. And thus, we should not serve idols, create graven images, and worship them, etc. Okay, that was the discussion yesterday. So essentially, it was kind of this anti-idolatry, Message: do not serve idols, do not create graven images, and all that good stuff. Now, we're up to verse 25, I believe. I think we went up to this, verse 25. All right, here we go. When you beget children and children's children, Okay, in other words, you'll have kids, and they'll have kids, the generations will go on, and you will be long established in the land. So again, this is look, looking down, the, Moses speaking to the people, they're going to be going into Israel. And he says, let's, let's think a little bit ahead. Let's do, some, let's do some planning. So you'll be living in the land for a long time. You'll have kids, you'll have grandkids, and you become corrupt and make a graven image the likeness of anything, and do evil in the eyes of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger. Moses says, if that happens, or when, God forbid, that might happen, I call, listen to this, I call as witness against you this very day. The heaven and the earth. By the way, this is the Torah reading that we read on a fast day. Just so you know. Ki banim This is what's read. It was read on Tisha Just... On Sunday, a few days ago, two days ago in the morning, we read this Torah reading. It talks about turning away. Moses promises that if we turn away from, warns, if we turn away from God, it's not going to be good. Moses says, I call a witness against you this very day. Who am I calling to witness? The heaven and the earth. You know, those are, those are witnesses that could still be around for a while. You call witness uh, a person, they're going to be gone in uh, 120 years. But you call heaven and earth, They'll be around for generations. Um, So I call as witness against you this very day, the heaven and the earth, that you will speedily and utterly perish. If you turn away from God and worship idols, it ain't going to end well. You will speedily and utterly perish, God forbid, from the land to which you cross the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days upon it, but will be utterly destroyed. And here is one of the many, many, many times that Moses in his prophecy in the book of Deuteronomy predicts or warns or predicts also and warns and prophecies that if the Jews turn away from God, if they turn away from monotheism, if they worship idols, if they provoke God's anger, so to speak, God doesn't actually get angry. Like we get angry, but if they turn against God, it's not going to end well. It just simply won't end well. And And the specific, how, what does it mean, won't end well? That's like a, it's a very vague uh, threat. Specifically, Moses says, you will not remain in the land. And you know what that means in English? Jewish exile. We can relate, right? <laughs> we can relate having been exiled for, for the last 1950 plus years. Yeah, we can relate. But God says, sorry, Moses says, if you turn against God, you will not prolong your days upon land. It will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples. Sound familiar? We call this exile, diaspora, right? The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will remain few in number among the nations to where the Lord will lead you. And there, in exile, you will worship God's man's handiwork, wood and stone, which neither see, hear, eat, nor smell. In other words, it's piling idolatry on idolatry. The original problem is that you turned away from God and served the idols. Or you were, let's just use a phrase, you were cheating on God. So God says, all right, you're now evicted from the land. So then you go into four nations. And there's subjugation. And it's difficult. You're few in number. You're under the, under the thumb of some other nation, some other superpower or, or power. And to compound the problem... Everyone there worships idols. So then it's going to be even more um, attractive. What's the word I'm looking for? More, um, we will be more susceptible to continuing the problem of worshiping idols. And you will worship God's, man's handiwork, wood and stone, which neither see, hear, eat, nor smell. I love, I mean, that line is so powerful because that's really what idol worship is. Worshiping that which cannot see, hear, eat, nor smell. Let's continue. And from there, you will seek the Lord your God. Verse 29, And from there, misham. And from there, from your place of challenge, of difficulty, of pain, of suffering, from, your, from, from the disconnection, that will ultimately stir the rebound. Here we talk about the rebound of teshuva, of coming back to God from there from that dark spiritually dark place you will seek the lord your god i mean let's i'm just i know i'm throwing a lot of commentary here but i just want to make sure that this is this is coming out off the page that this is alive that we're living with this i mean we're supposed to live with the with the torah reading sometimes it's from the depths of despair that the greatest inspiration comes. Sometimes it's from the sense of disconnection, from the sense of loss. I messed up, I ruined this relationship. I can't believe what I did, right? I, I'm, I'm now not where I want to be. It's from there that it stirs the greatest desire to reconnect. And that's exactly what the Torah is saying, It's that from, from hitting rock bottom, that actually propels the rebound back up to a better place. So from there, you will seek the Lord your God. And again, from there means from the darkness, specifically, and because of the darkness, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you seek him with all your your heart and with all your soul. In other words, if you genuinely want to reconnect, you will be able to reconnect. This is the path that's open. You would think that, well, if you turn away from God, you get exiled from the land, that's the end of the Jewish story. That's not the end of the Jewish story. There's a path. There's always a path to reconnect. There's always the rebounding path. Verse 30, when you are distressed and all of these things, and all these things happen upon you in the end of days. In other words, when you're distressed because you've been exiled and now subjugated and now steeped in a a society, in a culture of idol worship, even in America, right? American Idol. Right? I'm just joking. But like, yeah, steeped in a, in a culture that worships other things other than, than God and our spiritual purpose. Okay, so when, when you are distressed, Moses says, and all these things happen upon you in the end of days, then you will return. Vishafta, tshuva. This is the word teshuva comes from right here. You will return to the Lord your God and obey him. And the, and the implication is here that God will welcome you back with open arms. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not let, your, ne- let you loose or destroy you. That's very important. That's a very important message there. right? God is not cutting you. Did I disconnect? Can you guys hear me? Yes? Okay, God is not cutting you loose. God is not seeking to destroy yeah. you. You got it? Okay. Basically, the Torah, M- Moses telling the people is history is going to be complicated. There's going to be good times. There's going to be bad times. You're going to, if, if and when you turn away from God, you're going to lose the land. You're going to be kicked out of the land. Not forever. You'll be kicked out of the land. And you'll be under foreign powers, foreign nations, under the control of others. And in those societies, it's going to be even harder to stay faithful to Judaism and to God. But from the depths of despair, you're going to come back. And when you come back, God is going to be waiting for you, and God is going to be welcoming. God will not let you loose. God will not destroy you, neither will he forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. God is not turning his back on the Jewish people. By the way, you can imagine, let me stop sharing for a second, you can imagine how this went on in the, I'm going to call it debate, I don't know, debate in the conversation around Christianity. Because as you may know, one of the big things about Christianity is that they claimed that they were the new Jews. You guys know this about Christianity? Yes, they were the new Jews. Um, Because God lost favor, the Jewish people lost favor in God's eyes. I mean, everyone knows about the Jewish people, right? But but look, they they did the wrong thing. They messed up. They lost the land. They lost the temple. They were exiled. So now we have a new, like a new people, a new movement, and this is going to curry God's favor. You look at the Torah, you look at the five books of Moses, and you realize it's a non-starter. The conversation is a non-starter. There's no replacement. You with me on this? There's no replacement people. Moses says the arc of history is going to be, it's going to be good, it's going to be bad, and then it's going get, to get good again. That's the way it's going to work. God is ne- never turning his back on you. God is always going to remember the covenant. There's no replacement Right? It's, it, it's going to pick up. And when, we turn it, when we turn it around, it's going to pick back up. All right, now let's continue. Um, verse 32. For ask now regarding the early days that were before you since the day that God created man upon the earth and from one end of the heavens to the other end of the heavens, ask, this is obviously rhetorical, Moses says, ask, from the beginning of time whether there was anything like this great thing or was the likes of it heard. In other words, this is a, re- Sorry, this is a reference to Sinai, giving the Torah at to Sinai. Moses says, I want you to ask, has there ever been something like the revelation at Sinai from the day the world was created until now? And honestly, until now, July 20th, 2021, has there been has there ever been anything as spectacular, as incredible, as awe-inspiring, as, as, as paradigm-shifting as the experience of Sinai? Did a people, verse 33, did, a people ever, did ever a people hear God's voice speaking out of the midst of the fires you have heard and live? Or has any God performed miracles to come and take Him a nation from the midst of another nation? I love that line. That's referring to the Exodus. You guys, basically, Moses is saying, you guys experienced Sinai. You experienced the Exodus. Okay, it's the next generation, it's their parents, but they were, you know, close enough, right? Has any God, and lowercase God, I mean, has any of the gods... Moses is trying to give the argument for why we should stay away from idolatry. So he spoke about, you know, if we were to stumble and get exiled, there's a way back, but now he's circling back and saying... But don't do it. Don't serve idols. Because you know too, You know enough, you know better. You've seen too much to, 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 to fall into idolatry. All right? Has anyone seen or heard God like you did at Sinai? Has any God, lowercase God, right? Fake news God, performed miracles to come and take a nation, him. Take the, for the God, a nation from the midst of another nation. As the Jewish people were taken from the midst of Egypt, with trials and signs and with wonders and with war and a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, all of these are references to the plagues and all of the stuff that happened, and with great awesome deeds, as all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. You saw this. It's before your eyes. You have been shown. <speaking in Hebrew> That's this verse right here. You have been shown in order to know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else besides him. These are some of the most powerful verses in the entire Torah, in this week's Torah portion. I already told you yesterday, we have the Ten Commandments, we have the Shema, we have Atah HaResa right here. We say this We say this on, on Simcha's Torah. We say this every Shabbos when the Torah is pulled out. We say this every morning when the Torah is... Um, yeah, I think we say this every day when the Torah is pulled out. Essentially, what Moses is saying is y'all have been shown. You saw God. You saw the miracles. You heard God's voice. You need to know that there's nothing else besides Him. There's nothing worth worshiping, serving, bowing down to, subjugating ourselves to. No idols. From the heavens, from the heavens, he let you hear his voice to instruct you. And upon the earth, he showed you his great fire. Right? Remember the the fire with the tabernacle? And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire or the fire at Sinai. Basically, God has shown you, you've heard, you've seen and you've heard. And because he loved your forefathers and chose their seed after them, and he brought you out of Egypt before him with his great strength, to drive out from before you nations greater and stronger than you. This is because of his love. Because of his love for you, the Jewish people. He loved your forefathers. He chose their children, which is you, the Jewish people. He took you out of Egypt. And and, and, and what did he do then? Then he drove out nations before you. Nations that were greater and stronger than you. Sichon the king of Og the king of Bashan, right? These are the nations that were already driven out, let alone the ones that would be driven out in Israel when the Jews approach. To bring you and give you their land for an inheritance as this day. Another powerful verse, which is at the end of the Elenu, which we say multiple times, three times each day. And you shall know this day Not know this day. Not get to know this day. But you should know today and consider. And by the way, this day is whatever day you're reading it. It doesn't mean only that day that Moses spoke to the Jewish people. You should know today, this day, today. July 20th, 2021. Hey, Mark. And consider it in your heart. Know it and consider it. I don't like the word consider. Take it to heart. Know it in your head. Take it in your heart. What? That the Lord, he is God in the heaven above and upon the earth below. And once again, it states this idea, this truth. There is none else, nothing else. According to Kabbalah and Hasidus, it means more than God is the only power. God is the only God. It means God is the only thing that exists. The only true thing that exists. If you've studied Kabbalah with me, Even for a little bit, I'm sure you're you're familiar with this concept. Um, If you study Tanya, if you study Kabbalah and coffee, whatever it is, even Torah studies, and we, 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 we come around to mystical ideas, Kabbalah teaches that there's nothing other than God. Why? Like nothing. Not no other God other than God. Nothing other than God. Why? Because nothing exists on its own. Nothing can exist on its own. What grants existence existence? What grants it its definition, what grants it its ability to, to live and, and, and be sustained. It's only God. The example that the world is created, yesh in something from nothing, which means that the na- natural state of existence is non-existence. And what keeps something in existence is the divine force that keeps it in existence, which means that essentially this thing that seems so real is not real at all. It's an absence of reality. It's only... It's only projected into reality constantly. And I use that word projected, like a projector, like a film that's being projected in the theater. Speaking of which, Sunday night, Jewish Summer Cinema returns with our film Fiddler, Miracle of Miracles. Join us, we'll have a projector, right? When you have a projector, the image on the screen is only there as long as that projector is shining, as long as the the light, the images, is shining. The moment it's cut, it's done. You pull the plug, Poof, because it never really existed. It only existed insofar as the light was shining. The same thing is true with existence. Existence only exists insofar as long as God is animating and energizing and vivifying and making things be. The moment that's pulled, if it were to be pulled, I'm not suggesting right, or recommending that, but if it were to be pulled, nothing exists. Which means that even as existence exists, its existence is completely dependent upon the divine source which means that its core existence is nothing but the divine source manifest and projected into this thing that, that is being vivified. And so, when the Torah says, ain't owed, there's none else, it means that literally, and I still have it highlighted here on the screen, verse 39, there is none else, means not that there are no other gods or you shouldn't worship anything else. None else means, no, there's none else. The only true existence is God's existence. Everything else is what we would call, um, there's true existence, and then there's um, contingent existence. Everything else is contingent on God willing it into existence. God animating it, forcing it, um, projecting it into existence. That's called contingent existence. It doesn't self-generate. It's generated by God. The only self-generating true entity is God. Anyway, that's a quick uh, mystical primer into the nature of the universe. No big deal. All right, verse number 40. Um, and you shall observe his statutes and his commandments, which I command you this day that it may be well with you. One second. Let's, let's slow down on this verse. You shall observe God's statutes and God's commandments. Now that we've established, right, Judaism 101, that God is real, God is true, God is the only true existence, the only true power, force, or being Right, And you know this because you saw it, and you heard it, and you've experienced it. And you should know it in your head, and take it to heart, and then practice it. So here we go. In head, heart, and practice. So you should observe. In practice, that means practice. His statutes and commandments, that means the mitzvot, which I command you, which Moses says, I command you this day. In other words, I'm giving you the charge, keep Torah mitzvot. And he says, if you do this, that it may be well with you and your children after you. In other words, it's going to be good. Follow God. It'll be good. And that you may prolong your days upon the earth, which the Lord your God gives you forever. And if you keep the covenant, if you keep Torah mitzvot, then you'll be in Israel for a little while as opposed to being evicted. All right. That's the end of of reading two. We're going to jump into reading three, but let's take some questions, comments, reflections. Jump in, please. Who's got something, Donna? What you got? Let let me stop sharing so I can see it. Happy birthday, Donna! Look at you. You already got it. That's so fast. You got your certificate. Forget about it. All right, it's a awesome. Certificate from Chabad.org. Chabad.org thinks of everything. You see yeah. that? Chabad.org has, thinks of everything. It has the Torah portion of the week. The va'et va'et. Be'et yeah. Be'et yeah. Ab 12, 5, 7, 8, 1. My, Happy birthday, Dina, my Jewish name. See that? <laughs> Let's change. Let, I, listen, I, I, you know, I'm all for Hebrew names. Let's go Hebrew names. Dina. Donna's okay, but Dina, I mean, Dina's like, <laughs> it's got a Jewish town to it. Sandrine, what's your Hebrew name? Misha Gedalia, I know yours. Huh? Shalva. Shalva. Beautiful. 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 All right, good. By the way, mine, my Hebrew name, Ari, right? Actually, full name is Yehuda Ariyeh Yehuda Ariyeh which both words mean lion. Yehuda's a lion. Wow. I'm not lying. Okay. I'm here all week. All right, let's jump back into the text. Badanah slash Dina or Dina slash Donna, happy birthday. Let's jump back into reading number. Erev. Erev, yeah, 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 but you know, listen. By the way, hold on one second. Hold on. Let me note, let me note this, very important. When does your birthday begin? Tonight at nightfall. Just like Shabbat, just like the holidays begin at night, so too your birthday begins tonight. Not at 12.01. Right? It begins at like, I don't know, nine o'clock, 9:15, 9. somewhere around there. So it's technically today in the English day sort of, right? Because, anyway, you're with me on that. All right, let's jump back in to reading three. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better. The Torah continues with Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 41, then Moses. OK, We do get a little bit narration. Remember I told you Deuteronomy is about Moses, is the transcript of what Moses said to the people? But you do get some third-party narrator. You get it a little bit over here. Then Moses decided to separate three cities on the side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. So who's writing this? Not Moses. I mean, well, Moses might have written it, but this is not from the vantage point of Moses because it would have said, then I decided, or, hey guys, let's separate three cities on the side of the Jordan, etc. That's not what it says. It says, then Moses. So again, here we do have the narrator coming in, right? That's the divine narrator. Moses, at that point of the, at this point in the dialogue, monologue, whatever, speaking to the people, he says, guys, we're going to separate the three cities of refuge you remember this we had this um two weeks ago cities of refuge supposed to be six cities of refuge these are places where somebody who accidentally and unintentionally takes a life is able to flee and find a safe haven and safety etc and also reconnect spiritually all that good stuff um so there were three cities to be designated in the proper borders of the land of Israel, and three, in what we call the Transjordan, i.e. the east, on the east side of the Jordan River, the place where the two and a half tribes were going to settle, i.e. where Moses current, and the Jewish people currently were. So at this point, Moses decided to separate these three cities on the side of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Um, sunrises in the east. So this means the east of Israel. So that a murderer might flee there. So Moses himself is wanting to get in on the designation. Um, and what are these cities for? So that a murderer might flee there. He who murders his fellow man unintentionally, but did not hate him in the past, in time past. It wasn't premeditated. It wasn't, right? That he may flee to one of these cities so that he might live. And what were the three cities that he designated? Remember, there were three tribes, or two and a half, but three tribes. So Bezer, or Betzer, in the desert, in the plain country of the Reubenites. That's one. Number two is Ramot in Gilead of the Gadites. That's the second. Reuben, God, and then Manasseh and Golan in the Bashan of the Menasites. Manasseh. Okay, so we have three tribes. Reuven, God, and Manasseh, and three cities of refuge for each of those three areas of, that they settled. Betzer, Ramot. And Golan, Let's continue. Back to the story. Back to Moses' words to the people. And this is the teaching which Moses set before the children of Israel. Again, shortly before his passing, the narrative resumes. Moses said, uh, sorry, no, it, it continues. These are the testimonies, statutes, and ordinances. Let me explain those three in a second. Which Moses spoke to the children of Israel when they went out of Egypt. On the side of the Jordan in the valley, that means the eastern side opposite, Beth Pa'ar, in the land of Sichon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt in Keshbon, who Moses and the children of Israel smote after they went out of Egypt. And they possessed his land, the land of Sichon, the king of Amorites, and the land of Og, king of Bashan, king of the Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites who were on the side of the Jordan toward the sunrise from Aroer, which is by the bank of the river Arnon, to Mount Sion which is Hermon and all the plain across the Jordan eastward as far as the sea of the plain under the waterfalls of the hill. Sounds so romantic. Here's what I want to point out. Once again, we're resetting the, the, where Moses spoke to the people shortly before his passing, eastern side of the Jordan River, the east of, east of Israel, in the plain, in the land that they conquer now from Sihon and Og, etc. Okay, we got it. But a few things to point out. In this preamble, and, 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 and so that's, that takes us to the end of reading three, which is perfect. Well, I wanted to do that today. Tomorrow, reading four, Moses continues his dialogue or his monologue, whatever you want to call it, to the people. Moses will actually continue speaking to the people with words of encouragement. But um, here, it's kind of like setting it up. So first of all, he does, he, he kind of divides his words to them. He interrupts by setting up the cities of refuge. Why does he do that? You know, let Joshua do that, or let somebody else do that. No, as long as he's alive, as long as he's around, as long as this is going to be Jewish land, that the three tribes, will, these two and a half tribes, will settle. Three tribes will settle. He's going to be involved, hands on, in the setting up of these cities of refuge. It's a special mitzvah. It's a special. It's it's special to have the cities of refuge. Moses is not going to miss the opportunity. One other thing is that Moses told the people about the testimonies, statutes, and ordinances. And in the Hebrew, it's edos chukim, and Mishbatim. Many times we have explained the difference, but I want to do it one more time over here. Testimonies are the types of mitzvot that bear testimony to a certain historical event or another truth of Judaism. So for example, Shabbat is a testimony. Now, okay, it's a mitzvah, but it's of the mitzvot. There's three categories. It is of the category of edos, of testimonies. Why? Why is it a testimony? Because Shabbat testifies... Or bears witness to the fact that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. So any commemoration, mitzvah, or observance, anything that commemorates something is a testimony. A testimony is a commemoration. Shabbos, Shabbat, Passover, Sukkot, any of the holidays really are the edes, are testimonial mitzvot. Mitzvot that, or observances. That bear testimony, that bear witness, that commemorate something of the past or some Jewish value. Next are statutes. What are chukim? What are statutes? Statutes are, not statues, statutes. Statutes are super rational decrees, things that we don't understand with our mind, with our logic, things that we would not have come to on our own. Mitzvot that even once we hear them, we scratch our head and say, huh? Why? What does that mean? What's the purpose of that? I I spoke about this a little bit yesterday, wool and linen, kosher, other laws of ritual purity and impurity, the red heifer, these are all examples of mitzvot that baffle us. We spend a lot of time trying to figure out because they are simply baffling, and uh, those are chukim. And mishpatim, what's translated here as ordinances, which I don't really like the translation, but these ordinances, mishpatim, are the types of mitzvot that are very logical, very rational in the language of the Talmud, Had the Torah not been given, we might have, we probably would have at some point, come up with them on our own. Like, do not kill, do not steal, um, other civil laws that govern societies. You don't need to be Jewish. You don't need to have received God's word of, you know, God's command to recognize the value in these mishpatim type mitzvot. Nonetheless, as we've spoken about many times, including a recent Torah studies class, um, there is special power in doing the mishpatim, the ones that we do understand, because God said so. So I'll share with you something that the Rebbe said multiple times that I think is very powerful. You know, human beings can come to their own on their own to recognize, to appreciate the value of life and to be horrified by, um, by taking life. Like, oh no, murder is not good. And yet, if it's up to the human mind, if it's up to us, Human beings can justify the most horrific atrocities. We just showed a video Saturday night in synagogue, the night of Tisha B'av. We showed a documentary film, a powerful documentary film. It's called The Accountant The Accountant of Auschwitz. And it talks about the trial of Oskar Gruning, who was the accountant of Auschwitz. He was the guy who took in the inventory when Jews were brought to the camps, to the camp, to the concentration camp, of Auschwitz, he was the one who took the stuff, and he, you know, he what's the word, confiscated and and catalogued all of the items that came in. And ultimately, he was put on trial for for being uh, a Nazi and and someone involved in war crimes and genocide. Not that he participated necessarily in the killings. there was no proof for that. But as part of the war machine, as part of that killing machine, as part of the concentration camp. The court found him guilty and sentenced him to prison. He died before actually serving his sentence. He was older, but it set a precedent of how we look at war crimes. It's not only necessarily somebody who does the killing, God forbid, but even somebody, a guard, an accountant, anybody involved is part of that machine. Why am I saying this? The Rebbe spoke about the Holocaust multiple times on many different topics. But the Rebbe once, more than once, exclaimed the danger of leaving morality up to human beings. It's not only morality, leaving life in the hands of human beings. These Nazis who were involved in the killing of millions, hundreds of thousands and and all told millions of Jews and others, they went to sleep at night and slept They loved their families, their wives, and their children. They went to plays. They listened to classical music. They drank their their whiskey. They weren't. It's easy to say they were barbarians, and that's it. What's more difficult is to realize that they were human beings who acted barbarically. And how could you, you fathom such a thing? Simple. They justified it. It's war. This is the enemy. You have to get rid of the enemy, eliminate the enemy, whatever it is, whatever justification worked. I, 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 I loathe expressing justification. Right? I don't, even, I don't even want to express it. But in their minds, there was a justification, which is how they could live with themselves. And the Rebbe said, I was in Berlin in the 1930s. The Rebbe was in Berlin in the 1930s. The Rebbe studied famously in the University of Berlin. He studied at Sorbonne also in, Paris, in France. But he studied in the University of Berlin before that, as he was moving westward through Europe in the time preceding and during the war. The rabbis said, I was in Berlin, and they were filled with scientists and academics and all the intellectuals, all the greatest intellectuals. And what did they do? They exterminated six million of our people, including one and a half million children. That's where the sophistication, the intelligence, the academia, all of the degrees, that's where, that's where, that, that's where it ended. And how is it possible? Because their morality was not based on an absolute divine morality. It was subjective human morality. Oh, if it's my morality, so I'll decide when it starts and when it stops. If I decided that human beings have life, some human beings have life, others don't. When it's up to me Watch out. When it's up to God, it's absolute. And so Moses was telling the Jewish people, the Eidais, the Chukim, the Mishpatim, and Chassidus tells us, and the Rebbe taught us, that even the Mishpatim, even the the rational civil laws, keep them like a chok, Keep them like you do those super rational degrees that you only do because God said so. Because otherwise, You're going to start picking and choosing and may not end up, obviously, right? To that extent, right? To the the Holocaust, obviously, right? We're talking about us. But we could very easily start justifying and rationalizing all sorts of things that we know are unhealthy. Why? Because we left it up to our own brains, our own minds. Our minds are the greatest gift, but also the greatest liability that we have. Often in Judaism, Judaism advocates... And Chabad, Hasidic philosophy, advocates for us on when, the, when inappropriate situations to surrender our mind to accept a higher authority, which can keep us in check, absolutely. All right, that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed Daily Power Parisha. What's the moral of the story? We can't trust ourselves always, so be careful. Um, and what else did we have as far as the moral of the story? We also had the cities of refuge. We had the idea that we've seen enough divine revelation and experienced enough of God's salvation and blessings and etc., to stay on the straight and narrow. And that applies to us, you and I today. It's part of the gift of Torah is that we can read about this and re-experience, put ourselves back in that place so that it can be as true to us. Today, as it was then, or at least we can try, there should be a shoot to us today as it was then. All right, questions, comments? Mark, yeah. Yeah, ask two things. Sure. The first is why is there a recounting of what's already happened? That's my first question. And the second thing, I guess, is more of a comment to a question, too. Um, I hate to say this of the rabbit. to me that's an over simplification that god wasn't there which is why the nazis did the horror they did because throughout history jews have been slaughtered in the name of religion with the crusades and the inquisition and it's i've even heard it said that if it weren't for religion if you were jews i mean maybe other religions the the would be more jews living right that's Good. Both, both excellent points. So let's let's um, let's let's address them you know one by one. So number one, first point is why are we talking about the Exodus and Sinai again? It's like what's going on here. So the context of the whole book of Devarim, the whole book of Deuteronomy, is Moses' final words to the Jewish people before his passing. And so in the context of encouraging them and 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 giving them their final charge before he checks out. He's trying to make sure that they don't stumble in idolatry. And so he says, guys, you remember remember the Exodus? God loves you. Remember Sinai? You heard God's voice. Don't serve idols. That's the message. So it's not so much that the Torah is kind of convoluting the timeline. It's simply Moses speaking to the people and taking a trip down memory lane for the express purpose of directing the people before his passing that's number one number two you're right many jews and others have been slaughtered in the name of religion so the question is one second if one believes in a higher authority that that's an automatic guarantee that life will be preserved what about uh, even modern times right people say in the name of god i will kill these people so maybe god is not the answer once so that's your question i believe so a few points number one you're correct you're correct. If one has a corrupt, if a corrupt understanding of God and a corrupt message, yeah, you can pull that out to justify or to at least, you know, I don't know, justify, but allegedly justify and rationalize the kill, killing. So correct. That's not, a, that's not a guarantee. In modern times, I would say in the 20th century, far more lives were taken in, in a godless context than in a God context. And what I refer to is Nazi Germany and Stalin. They both did not commit their atrocities in the name of religion, in the name of God. They committed it in other... Now, I, with the following caveat, I'm not a historian. I, I am not super well-versed in all the nuances. My understanding is, at least in modern times, the the atrocities. And I, Stalin is upwards of 20 million people. Is that, is that a correct number? I believe that's the number that I've heard. Upwards of 20 million... Huh? I'm not sure either. Yeah. I've heard upwards upwards of 20 million. We can look it up. That was not in the name of religion or jihad or crusades or, you know, that sort of thing. Now, historically, yes, Jews have historically been persecuted under the guise of religion. 100%. And even today, there's, there's stuff that happens under the guise of religion. I, I, there, there's... What the Rebbe is saying is that Torah can keep us in check. Yeah, some sort of um, misbelief in a God that wants to see these people killed, yeah, that's going to end up in in, in loss of life. But the way we understand Torah, I'm saying, the way we have Torah today, the way we understand that the framing, which is Torah has been given to bring peace into the world and not the opposite, that's not going to end up in bloodshed. It's just not. It's not. You can look at Torah and say, "What about this verse about destroying Amalek?" And what about this verse about destroying the seven nations of Canaan? And I'll tell you, that's not a. That's not a commandment we have today. That's not an enduring commandment. What's the command we have today? Peace, love, Torah, and uh, that the enduring legacy of Torah is not. Is not that stuff? That was. To understand it, I, listen, that, that require, that, that's, a, that's another question and that I don't know that, I'm, that, I'm, that I have the tools to answer that question. Why then was it, I don't, I don't know that I have the tools to answer that question. I've raised it before myself and I've told you straight up that I struggle with that question. But the Torah that we have, that Judaism, Judaism as we have it, as we've had it for the last several thousand years, is not a violent religion God does not call for murder. God does not call for jihad, God, whatever you want to call it. God does not call for that. And so when the Rebbe says that it takes a little surrender of the human mind to accept the divine moral authority, he's talking about the Jewish perspective, which is about the value, the, the absolute value of life. And as Donna likes to mention, Judaism's Gifts to the World, that was one of the, the classes that we two of the classes. We had the absolute value of human life, and also it was about... There's two of them on on human life. It was like the value of life and the value of... I don't know. Whatever. I don't remember exactly the topics. But that's uh, that's what I meant. But good points, because in the name of religion and God, lots of lives have been taken throughout history. Jewish lives as well. All right, good. I mean, not good for that, but... As we, as we summarize the, our session today, because we are at 101, this is DPP 101, let's close it out with some inspiration. Let's remember to, sometimes we got to let go and let God, sometimes we need to surrender to a higher authority. After all, if it's good for Hebrew National, it's got to it's gotta be good for us. It's kosher. Um, all right, we'll see you guys tomorrow. DPP tomorrow Wednesday is online. Remember, we've switched the in-person from Wednesday to Monday. So DPP is online tomorrow 12, tomorrow night in-person and online hybrid. Um, we have the hybrid Torah studies. Um, one of the features that we added for this year as we're designing all the stuff for the upcoming year is we, we're, we're putting on all the flyers and all the banners and all the stuff like a little... Diagonal line in the top right top left corner that says Right away visual in person Online or both that way whenever you see something you're like, oh a barbecue is it gonna be on zoom? No in person only barbecue because that would be super difficult to pull off I should mention everyone's cordially and warmly invited even if you're out of town There's still time to make it in for August 1st to join us for the uh, for the barbecue It's going to be a blast, great food, southern barbecue, real deal. Southern barbecue, talking about like pulled brisket sliders and Mm. coleslaw and, um, and potato salad and corn and, you know, pies and whatnot and lemonade and all that good stuff. So you don't want to miss this. It's coming up August 1st. But before then, we have all, all sorts of other good stuff. Check out the website, impenetrationacademy.org. As always, we turn somehow into a commercial by the end of the class, just to let you all know what is coming up. All right. PSA. PSA. P-S-A, exactly. All right, friends, I will let you all go. Do you know if the Rebbe went back to France after World War II? No, he didn't go back. The Rebbe did not go back. Once he arrived in America, he did not travel internationally. He didn't even travel much out of uh, Brooklyn. The few times he traveled were to the summer camp in the Catskills. He went a few times. The Rebbe did not take a day. There was zero. uh, The Rebbe had zero vacation. vacation. Yeah. I don't know if I read that one. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, someone who it was someone who started uh, the rabbi champions of Tabskill. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, 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 Rabbi Lazar, by the way, that Rabbi Lazar is the father of the chief rabbi of, of Russia, Barry He's Italian. The chief rabbi, listen, the chief rabbi of Russia is Italian, and his wife, sorry, the chief rabbi of his. Of, let me try this again. The chief rabbi of Russia is Beryl Lazar. His uh, hold on. His wife, or his mother, or both? Yeah, because they were saying that this Rabbi Lazar, after he was a uh, rabbi in Milan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's for sure Milan. He's Milano, Milano. Is that what they, they call it? What the kids call what it. Chief rabbi? Do huh? we have one? We have- no, we don't have... A, there's no chief rabbi in America. I know, like, England is a chief rabbi, South Africa is a chief rabbi, Russia is a chief rabbi. All these places have chief rabbis. I, I'm running for chief rabbi. You'll vote for me if, uh, if it ever gets... Uh, <laughs> By the way, I once taught a class on, on American Jewish history, and we discussed, a JLI class, a six-week course on American Jewish history, and we discussed why is it that America doesn't have a chief rabbi. There was an attempt in the early 1900s to establish a... A Chief Rabbi for the United States and it failed spectacularly too much to talk about for right now but it was like Could it, agree? <laughs> it was like it was it was disaster anyway all right friends Great to see you all stay strong stay happy stay positive no classes tonight We're just getting ready for the next next semester starting in august we're gonna have a full schedule in august tomorrow tomorrow day tomorrow night and the party rolls on. We'll see you guys. Take care everybody. Bye. Thank you so much. Rabbi. Pleasure, pleasure. Great to see you all. Thank you.